0: gazette newspapers presents the parting shots podcast now here's your host daily gazette associate sports editor ken Shot. thank you scott Geezy, and welcome to the parting shots podcast available wherever you get your podcasts subscribe today thanks for joining me from the parting shots podcast studio in schenectady new york we have another great show for you gazette sports writer adam shinder stops by for his weekly high school football segment my first guest has written a great book about how the original, the NFL Today pregame show on CBS was the gold standard. He writes about how the show became to be and made Brent Musburger, Phyllis George, Irv Cross, and Jimmy the Greek Snyder uh, superstars. The book is entitled, You Are Looking Live. Please welcome the author, Rich Podlaski. Rich, uh, welcome to the podcast, and you and I share uh, something in common. We're both from Philadelphia.
1: Right, right. And Again, let me just correct you on the pronunciation of my name. It's Rich Podolsky.
0: Podolsky, I, pre- I apologize. Yeah, no I, problem. Uh, Podolsky, I, I apologize. I even called called Lou before, <laughs> Lou DeMille, the publicist before that. And Of course, I have a way of screwing things up. But, that's. Uh, but well, Rich, I appreciate you coming on here. And uh, Well, let's talk about this book, Rich. I mean, I, I'm in the middle of reading it. I've gotten, I've gotten through it. I'm just fascinated how this all became to be because, you know, back – I remember back in the early 70s, the way the NFL is now, it wasn't that way back then with television. I remember back in the day, NFL games, home games were never televised. If the Eagles were playing at home, for example, you never saw them on TV. The only time you ever got to see them was away away games. So the NFL, television-wise, was very different back in the day.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, anybody under 40 can't even imagine what, what it was like back then. Uh, I just wanted to point out one thing. You know, the, the book is about not only the show, but these four iconic uh, personalities, Brent Musburger, Phil George, Irv Cross, and Jimmy the Greek. And the cover of the book is this wonderful black and white photo that CBS found for me, the only one that exists of the four of them together on the set. And uh, it just draws you right to to the book. Um, What happened, Ken, is back in the the, uh, early and mid-70s until this show came about, uh, if you were an NFL fan, you couldn't get information on your team. There was no way. Uh, There was no cable TV, no ESPN, no CNN with round-the-clock sports news. Uh, Newspapers were two days behind on what was going on uh, unless you had an ap ticker in your living room you couldn't get the latest information on your team uh, the uh, pregame shows in those days were all taped days in advance uh, and the announcers were all middle-aged white men there was no internet no way to get news and then the nfl today comes about this guy bob wessler took over at cbs sports to run the 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 sports division Uh, He was a young visionary executive and he had this idea of not only going live, which the show had tried the year before in 74 without success, but he found a way for it to go live and work. He brought on the first woman ever on a live sports show who was Phyllis George uh, and the first African-American on this type of show who was Irv Cross and uh, Phyllis and Irv, wound up parting the Red Sea for female broadcasters and black broadcasters after them. Uh, it, somebody had to be the first. Wessler took the chance and uh, Phyllis and Herb did not let them down. And then, of course, the third co-host was Brent Musburger who nobody knew in 1975. He was only known in Chicago and he was the perfect cog in the wheel to keep things running and the, the show just took off. They started off with uh, Brent saying, You are looking live at uh, Vet Stadium in Philadelphia or Soldier Field in Chicago. And that came about because in a pr- production meeting that first year, uh, one of the the uh, producers said that he had a couple of buddies who bet on the games and they always wanted to know what the weather was. And Brent said, Well, I could say you are looking live at the stadium yeah. instead of just showing the stadium. And uh, It took off, and the whole show took off. The ratings expounded. Uh, People rushed home from church to see it. It was exciting. Uh, You can't believe the the excitement this show generated. In its first year, it won 13 Emmy Awards, and it helped the NFL – Expand its own fan base and overtake baseball as America's number one sport.
0: Yeah, I was reading in the book that, in, as you mentioned, in 1974 they went live, but it was Jack Whitaker who was an outstanding essayist at CBS uh, with uh, the commentary. Another uh, Philadelphian, but he could not handle that role of, you know with the, with the live stuff and you know moving back and forth. And I was reading where Jack went to do another assignment and they brought Brent in to fill in. And that's when they realized what they had in Brent.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was almost an accident that, that they found out that Brent was so good at it. Uh, Brent had, had been, uh, a, a newspaper columnist up till 1969. And then he, uh, Chicago with the Chicago American. And then, uh, He uh, made a name for himself at the 68 Olympics when he got an interview with uh, uh, Carlos and Smith after their Black Power salute. That interview uh, was a 12-minute interview that went viral uh, once it hit the the, uh, news wires in the U.S. Uh, WBBM Radio offered him a full-time job at more than double his salary at the Chicago American and he loved being a columnist, so he went to his boss, hoping his boss would give him a nice race so he could stay. And instead, his boss said to him, are you crazy? Nobody leaves a job as a columnist in Chicago, but <laughs> Brent did. <laughs> and Brent, Brent made the right move. Within a year, he was the uh, sports director at WBBM-TV in Chicago. And uh, WBBM was one of the five stations that the CBS network owned at the time, and if you were there, uh, you could you could uh, move to the network if uh, you uh, knew the right people. He got a chance to do a little bit of CBS Sports Spectacular. And then that one particular weekend when Jack Whitaker was doing the Irish Derby in Dublin, uh, uh, they brought Brennan to, to try to do the NFL today. And he was like a kid in a candy store. He handled uh, highlights coming at him like there was nothing to it know, Now, that's not putting Jack Whitaker down, that he couldn't handle it. Jack Whitaker, as you said, was a great SAS. Before that, he was a great play-by-play guy for the network. Uh, he, uh, The Eagles fans will remember in 1960, he did the play-by-play for the championship game against the Packers that the Eagles won. And uh, he also did uh, play-by-play of the first Super Bowl uh, in 1968, I believe. Uh, uh, he did half the game, and Ray Scott did the other half of the game. That's the way CBS split it up. So Whitaker was the face of CBS Sports for a long time.
0: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about Wessler and you know the diversity. At that time, did they realize what historic things they were doing, bringing on a woman, bringing on an African-American?
1: I think Bob Wessler absolutely knew that. I mean, he grew up in... in uh, uh, the part of New Jersey, near Newark, New Jersey, uh, that was uh, mafia-run and uh, a large African-American community. He saw uh, what was going on in the world just in his, his little hometown of New Jersey. Uh, he went to Seton Hall University, and uh, he started at CBS out of college. He was, uh, he was uh, well aware that he would be taking a chance. But he had built up a lot of equity with the network. Uh, he had run, run the CBS uh, special events unit with Walter Cronkite for several years uh, when he was even in his 20s, and uh, they had great success doing that. And then uh, they sent him to Chicago to be the general manager of one of their three largest st- stations, and he took the news from number four to number one in that market, and if you don't think that meant a, a ton of money to the network, uh, you've got another thing coming. Uh, Wessler was loved by the network executives, and when he took over at CBS Sports, he was willing to take some chances, and uh, he did them. Uh, and bringing in Phyllis George, I mean, was one of them. He uh, had said previously that he thought that uh, network television had become a male ghetto and he thought there was definitely a place for a woman in network sports. And he didn't just bring on a woman who was a sports reporter, he brought on a former Miss America. Now, Phyllis was not uh, 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 an idiot when it came to sports. She was a sports fan. You know, when she met with him, he asked her, what do you know about sports? She said, well, I've dated a few athletes, and my favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. Well, that was kind of enough for him. He could see that she could do some interviews and and make an effect uh, on the public, and that's exactly what she did. She uh, uh, took the armor off of these athletes by interviewing them in their homes, uh, guys like uh, Joe Namath and Roger Staubach, and she got them to tell things that that guys uh, who were beat writers could never get out of these athletes. Uh, She asked them about personal things in their life. And I remember she asked Dave Callens, what would he do if he ever got injured and couldn't play again? And nobody ever asked him that question. Uh, It turned out to be the best national interview ever done with Callens. And it it convinced Wessler to put her on the NFL today. She was only 25 years old at the time. Yeah, yeah, she I read, yeah, I read
0: that section of the book, and it's like Cowans was trying, I think, ever do his best to avoid talking to Phyllis, and it ended up, you know, being a great interview. And as you said, that uh, got her, got her hired. I was talking with uh, Laura Open recently, and we, I, I, you know, we talked about Phyllis George, and I, I think that, unfortunately, she, has, she's been forgotten, and what, how much of a pioneer she was, how, how important was she. For women in sports, um, uh, yeah, because now we see women in sports, it's not that's like you know, we see a lot of women doing, we're seeing women broadcasters, uh, women doing play by play, uh, sideline reporting analysis. So, I mean, how much of a pioneer was Phyllis George? Well, you
1: know, as the definition of a pioneer is you're the first, and she she was the first, and uh, to, to be successful, anyhow. Wassler actually tried having a woman on uh, before her, but not on uh, the pregame show doing interviews. Uh, there was a, a woman in Miami named Jane Chastain, who was uh, a damn good sports reporter. Uh, she, in fact, she was the, at WTBJ in Miami. She did the sports news, and uh, she was well-respected uh, by the other writers and broadcasters in Miami I was one of them I was covering the Miami Dolphins for the Palm Beach Post in those days and uh, you know Jane uh, was asked by Bob Bossler if she'd like to try being the third in the booth on a football game and uh, it was a Denver Broncos game and uh, he sent her to Denver to be with uh, Don Cricky and Irv Cross. Irv was kind of kind to her and tried to include her, and Cricky was not happy with the situation at all, and kind of ignored her. And the mail from the audience was overwhelmingly negative. In fact, the TV guide hired me to uh, write an article about it, and they interviewed Jane. And the gist of the mail was, get that brought out of the booth. And that was the headline in the story. It wasn't my headline but that's what the male indicated that came in. Uh, Jane, unfortunately was unsuccessful, but Wessler did not give up. And once he met Phyllis George, he thought she could be the one to break the barrier. He thought it was really important to include women, you know, and, and you look at it today. Uh, it's back to being a male ghetto again with wall to wall men on the NFL today and the Fox network, you know, and, uh, the only place you'll find a woman that I could think of is on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network with Kay Adams uh, as one of the three co-hosts of that show. And she's equal, in my mind, to, in her uh, knowledge of football and uh, being a terrific host. Yeah, uh,
0: Irv, Irv Cross, um, you mentioned him. Uh, he was an excellent uh, analyst there. I mean, how steady was he uh, on that show?
1: Irv was incredible. Um, he was the hardest-working guy I knew, and and you could always rely on him. Brent always said that when he was stuck, you know, and, and needed to catch up on something, he could throw a question to Irv, and Irv would vamp and talk about strategy or talk about uh, – uh, who the replacements would be on a certain team. And you just knew Irv could cover the situation for 90 seconds while Brent tried to find his place uh, because live television was exactly that and you weren't always uh, scripted and you you had to uh, jump around. And Irv, Irv uh, Tim Brando, who was one of the early hosts of Game Day on ESPN, uh, said that, Brent and Irv across uh, defined the term studio chemistry. They were just perfect together. And uh, like I said, Herb was an uh, incredibly hardworking guy. It, for me, it started when he was like 10 or 11 years old. He he was a part of a family of 15 children. He had a widowed father. Uh, his father would leave for work at 5.30 in the morning, but Herb would get up even earlier than that at 5 a.m., and get the coal that they left on the sidewalk for his family, and Herb would shovel it into the family's furnace so that when all his brothers and sisters woke up, the house would be warm. And then uh, he was uh, equally hardworking at Northwestern, where he played for Ara Parsegian and played uh, both ways, defensive back and and wide out. Uh, In fact, for a long time, As a wideout, he had the the longest touchdown uh, pass in uh, in Northwestern's history, and it came against Notre Dame, and it was the deciding touchdown in that game. And with the Eagles, they made him co-captain his first season, uh, even though he was a seventh-round draft choice. They knew how smart and brilliant he was. And uh, uh, then as uh, an Eagle player, he found out that NFL Films was located in Philadelphia, and he's on his own, he would go there every uh, Monday on his day off to find out information about it, other teams in the league. So Arv Cross was a guy who always wanted to know more, and he was totally prepared when his opportunity came. Yeah.
0: Jimmy the Greek Snyder came aboard a year later, 1976. And obviously now you know NFL has embraced gambling. We see all these commercials for DraftKings and FanDuel and all that stuff. But back... Back in the 70s, uh, gambling was really frowned upon, even though the league knew uh, people were betting on these games. And Jimmy the Greek came along. What was his responsibility? Because obviously he could not give odds, but he had an interesting way of giving odds.
1: He he certainly did. First of all, when they they brought Jimmy the Greek on in 1976, the Greek was already... Uh, very, very well known. He was probably the most famous gambler in the country. He had a a football odds column where he printed the odds uh, on these games and the point spreads. And that was syndicated in more than 300 papers. So newspapers were starting to print odds. And he also had a a radio show that was syndicated across the country as well. So when they brought him on, uh, Wasser brought him on, he knew, it would upset uh, Roselle, Pete Roselle, and, and the NFL, at least publicly. Roselle was against it. Roselle, in fact, had gone before Congress and testified that he thought only 2% of uh, the, uh, those who watched the games actually bet on the games, at which point uh, Bino Cook, who was a CBS publicist in those days, uh, said that if uh, that was true, then they all lived on his block. <laughs> oh, yeah, and and, to, and to answer your question, he did find a unique way to get around mentioning the odds on TV. Uh, he would say that uh, the Cowboys would win by a touchdown, or they'd win by a field goal, or sometimes he'd say, "What does the golfer say when he hits it out of bounds?" He says, "Poor."
0: <laughs>
1: you know, and uh, the Greek was you know bigger than life. He was. He was kind of irascible. You never knew if he was going to growl at you or laugh at you. You know, uh, he, uh, he had a public relations business when he came on the NFL today as well. And one of his clients was Phyllis's uh, husband, John Y. Brown, who was the owner of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he thought John Y., uh, he had done some public relations for uh, John Y.'s company, and he thought John Y. owed him $100,000 and John White disputed that, and one Sunday on the air, he said to Phyllis, uh, loud enough for the public to hear, he said, your husband's a son of a bitch. Sheesh. And that went out over the air, and uh, she held it together until the next commercial, and then she ran out of the uh, off the set crying. Uh, the Greek could be uh, tough to get along with, uh, but he also uh, had his uh, mellow points. Uh, if you were, uh, eating with him, uh, lunch or dinner, you would never pick a, he would like get every check. Uh, he could be, uh, nasty and he could be kind and, uh, life was, uh, difficult for him as well. Uh, he and his wife had, the a horrible fortune of having three children die from cystic, cystic fibrosis, um, and, uh, Sports Illustrated did a big story about the Greek uh, about, uh, and his misfortunes. So um, he, he really had his ups and downs, and uh, he was very popular on the show. When he came on the show, the ratings practically doubled in 1976 and 77. And uh, uh, he uh, had his tro- problems with uh, Brent as well as you probably read uh, well, in the book. Yeah. They they had the classic fight at a bar restaurant called Pear Trees. And uh, what happened there was uh, the Greek had a segment called the Greek's Grapevine uh, where he was supposed to come up with insider news around the league. And uh, the producers and Brent came to the conclusion that most of – The Greeks insider information was just tips from his buddy, Al Davis, the owner of the Raiders. And uh, it was, uh, 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 they were tips that you couldn't confirm necessarily. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but uh, this one particular Sunday in October of 1980, the Greek had a legitimate piece of news. And that was that Notre Dame was about to fire their football coach, Dan Devine. And replace him with, of all things, a high school coach from Akron, Ohio, a guy named Jerry Faust, and nobody else had it. And uh, they rehearsed it uh, before the show went on the air. And when it was time for the Greek segment, instead of just throwing it to the Greek and saying, "What do you got for us today, Greek?" Brent blurted out the news and left the Greek tongue-tied and flat-footed, uh, and not much to, with not much to say. The Greek boiled over the rest of the day, and he was already upset. He thought he was getting shorted on airtime by Brent. And that night when they uh, all got together at Pear Trees uh, in Midtown Manhattan on the east side, uh, the Greek continued to complain to Brent. And according to producer Ted Shaker, at that point, uh, everybody had too much to drink, and Brent turned over around to the Greek and got right in the space and said Greek you know I can make you disappear anytime I want at that point the Greek just punched him right in the mouth (laughs) and the place was full of media people so the word got out it was in the Washington Post the next day it was in the front page of the New York papers after that and uh, they were smart enough to uh, make peace before the weekend and the next show came on the air I happened to be the writer on that show um, uh, uh, the next week. And they opened the show with boxing gloves on the set and Phyllis George ringing a bell and saying round one. And it was the highest rated show of the year.
0: Well, you mentioned Phyllis George again. She left in 1978 and then Jane Kennedy came along and then she lasted two years and then Phyllis came back. Talk about how that all went about. Uh, It seems like... And in fact, Jane got got screwed a little bit there by CBS.
1: Um, you, you might come to that conclusion. Jane Kennedy was uh, a gorgeous Afri- African-American young woman who had uh, uh, been a model uh, in her high school years and then uh, missed Ohio shortly after that and uh, finished in the... Top 15 in Miss Universe contest uh, and got a lot of television work out in Hollywood on uh, uh, different series like The Six Million Dollar Man, shows like that. And uh, when she found out that Phyllis was leaving the show, uh, she wanted to uh, have a chance to audition. Uh, Phyllis left because she was in a bad marriage. Uh, to uh, uh, pr- the producer of uh, The Godfather, Robert Evans, who produced The Godfather, and he was the head of Paramount Studios. Uh, the marriage lasted uh, six months officially, but Phyllis left after two months and went back to Denton uh, uh, near outside of Dallas. And uh, CBS didn't know how long she'd be off the show or if she'd ever come back. So they went out uh, and asked for... Uh, all the agencies uh, to uh, give them a list of uh, women that they thought could fill in for Phyllis. And they picked 15 women to audition, come in for a live audition. And uh, ICM, who was uh, Jane's agency would not submit her. They said they, they're not looking for a black woman. They're looking for a a woman who knows sports. And Jane went around them and uh, got, got uh, an audition by hook or by crook. And she was terrific on her audition. Uh, in fact, she was number 14 out of 16 to audition. And after she, uh, she did her 15 minutes, which included a, a rep, repartee with Brent and uh, uh, interviewing an athlete. Uh, after that, Brent said, it's over Jane is by unanimous choice. The winner here. I'm not even going to interview the last two uh, candidates. And, uh, Jane thought she had the job until, uh, the head of the network at that time told her, uh, well, we have to get the okay from the Southern affiliates because if we bring you on the set, it'll be you and Irv and, and Brent, and that'll be two blacks and one white, and we're not sure the Southern affiliates will go for that. And, uh, The the way they solved that problem is they brought uh, Jimmy the Greek on the set, too, to balance it out. And the Southern affiliates looked at her tape and had no problem with Jane coming on. So she did a nice job on the show for two seasons. But when Phyllis was ready to come back, CBS uh, didn't tell her that they were going to remove her and bring Phyllis back. They just fired her uh, for for really what I uh, saw as unjust cause. They could have easily kept her uh, working for CBS uh, and doing things for CBS Sports Spectacular and other interview situations, but they just let her go, and uh, it just seemed totally unfair to me, Uh, and uh, she went on to uh, uh, be the, the host of a show called Greatest Sports Legends for six more years, and she did a great job on that show. In fact, she uh, hosted the, the 30th anniversary of that show where they brought all the live legends back. It was one of the highlights of her career. Yeah. And then after, after that, she decided she was going to uh, raise a family.
0: Looking at the pregame shows today, I mean, we, we have the Fox NFL Sunday, the NFL Today on CBS, and, uh, and a Sunday NFL Countdown on ESPN. Are they... Do they seem the same as the original NFL today, or are they just totally different and something that may be not as good as what we saw back, uh, in the days of, uh, the seventies and eighties?
1: It's a tough question. You know, back then the show was only a half hour and there were just 22 minutes of airtime. So, um, uh, it really, uh, Centered on the personalities. Uh, Those four personalities were really outstanding personalities. Uh, In fact, uh, I write about what it was the start of uh, what's called sports personality broadcasting. Where uh, shows like that started to really emphasize their personalities on the show. And today you've got uh, on uh, CBS you have, have the personalities on the NFL today, like, uh, James Brown and, and coach Cowher and, uh, on Fox, you've got, um, uh, Terry and Howie, the, the personalities are, are ruling the day. And again, it's like I said, it's all men and the shows today are an hour long and they have a lot more time to get things in on fantasy football and, and even gambling and point spreads, uh, which, uh, you know, we talked about weren't, weren't were frowned upon in those days. Uh, I think that the shows in the old days were better, uh, because they were more fun. You know, today's show, they just seem like they're, they're cramping more in it. And I still think the NFL today does the best job of all of them. Maybe I'm biased, uh, but, um, uh, it's, it's a different, it's a different time. And, um, it's certainly a different era. Um, it was so new and interesting and fun in those days. Not only working on it, but uh, all, the, all my friends who were watching at home loved the show and loved the personalities. And wherever they went on the road, they would get mobbed for autographs. I mean, they were truly celebrities. When they went out to the, to the Super Bowl in L.A. in 1980, uh, they were mobbed by other celebrities as well. Uh, It it was uh, a unique time and situation. And uh, the legacy of the show to me is uh, bringing the first woman and the first African-American into sports television. That was really revolutionary, not just going live and being able to do highlights. I mean, the show did so many things that were never done before. Uh, But it was just an exciting time uh, to be in television.
0: Well, Rich, I appreciate you coming on the uh, podcast to talk about that. I Man, I'm, I'm, I enjoy this stuff. Cause I used to write about uh, sports on te- uh, television, sports, and I'm fascinated by all this stuff. And I still have a little more chapter to read, but I'm going to read it and I'm and enjoy it. And just I appreciate you coming on. And uh, thank gosh you're a Philadelphian like me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just want to say the name of the book again is yes, "You Are Looking Alive: yeah. How the NFL Today Revolutionized Sports Television." Look for that iconic black and white photo of the four personalities, and it's uh, available on uh, Amazon and and Barnes and Noble wherever books are sold. And actually, it's doing very well. Amazon says it's the number one new sports release. Well, that's great to hear, and it's
0: a, it's a, a, a fascinating read I'm so far. And I'm going I know it'll be a fascinating read uh, once I finish it up. And uh, again, Rich, I appreciate your time, and thank you for sharing your experiences with the NFL today. Thanks, Ken. I enjoyed it. I appreciate that. Coming up, Gazette sports writer Adam Schindler joins me to talk high school football, and we'll have the final power rankings of the season. You're listening to the Farting Shots podcast. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette U Pick'em football contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your U Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick'em football contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi. I'm Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette, and you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. It's another week of high school football. In fact, for most classes, it's the final weekend of the regular season, and Adam Schindler is here to join us and talk about that. Adam, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Well, Class C gets underway at the playoffs Thursday with Taconic Hills and Skylaville. Uh, and then the big matchup we're gonna see on Friday is Fonda and Water of League. Just let's break down the first of all, the Skylerville game.
2: Yeah, hills Skylerville, this uh, Skylerville has basically been in that uh, they've had the number one seed in uh in their half of Class C clinched since just about week three or four of the season, uh, because they beat both of their closest they beat all their closest competitors very early in the season. Hills gets in as the four seed uh, from the South Division. Uh, Skylerville's has looked really, really good, especially on defense. They've looked pretty much untouchable against Section 2 opponents all season. Yeah. Mm.
0: Uh, Friday night, we'll have the other three quarterfinal games. Fonda Fultonville and Waterville, our friends at Spectrum News, want to be televising that game. What do you see in that one? Yeah, that's a
2: really, really interesting game because Fonda Fultonville is the four seed here, and they're probably way better than a four-seed. They lost close games to both uh, Hoosick Falls, Tamarack, and Skylerville, the two teams seeded ahead of them, and they had to forfeit because of uh, COVID protocols to Voorheesville, which dropped them out of the three-seed into the four-seed. So it really makes up an interesting... uh, an interesting dynamic here. Waterfleet lost its opening game week zero to to Cobblesco Richmondville and has looked just fantastic the rest of the season. hasn't lost since. Really, really interesting because Fond of Fultonville, in the games they've played against uh, teams that aren't Hoosick Falls, Tamarack, and Skylerville, have looked really, really good. They've won their last two games, eighty-seven to nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. Richmondville is at Borisville. Yeah, another really, really interesting game. Cobblesco Richmondville uh, has has played has a re, has a win. Over a over a Waterfleet team that beat Voorheesville was very early in the season. Don't know uh, what things have changed. Voorheesville is another team; they've only lost to Waterfleet very early in the season, so they're coming in very hot as well. Uh, just a, just an interesting matchup there to see uh, how that shakes out. Especially, it's a tough one because the winner there is going to get Skyline. And then the other Class C game we'll see Friday is Hudson at Who's It? Falls Tamarack. Yeah, Hudson's a team in the games they win; they look. Absolutely incredible. It's a team that will... You're not surprised if they put up 50 to 60, 70 points even in a game. They play fast-paced. They have a lot of athletes. Hoosik Falls Tamarack has gone out. Uh, and again, they've—they've they've, their, only, their only blemish this year was an early loss to Skylerville. Really, really good team with a very good quarterback in Jake Sparks. Uh, th- th- this season has really felt like... A uh, like a long like a long and winding road to a rematch between Skylerville and Hoosick Falls Tamarack. Uh, be interesting because Hoosick Falls Tamarack gets the Fonda Fultonville Waterfleet winner next week if they advance. That's potentially a fantastic game.
0: So well, who are we who are gonna see next weekend in the semifinals?
2: Uh, I mean I I have no belief that Skylerville won't be there. I believe I believe Hoosick Falls Tamarack will be there. Those other two games are very much coin tosses. I'm gonna to say that Vorysville beats Cobleskill Richmondville. I have a sneaking suspicion that Fonofoto wins that game. Uh, it would it would be an upset, but not a really big upset. It seemed all along that the North Division is stronger than the South.
0: Okay, so the uh, other classes get ready to finish their regular seasons this weekend. Uh, the matchup in Class Double A we're looking at is Shen at CBA. Yeah, this is a, this is a, this one. The playoffs
2: teams are set in Class Double A. Shaker. Shenanda Hoa, CBA, and Gilderland are going to the playoffs. That won't change. Shaker is the number one seed. That won't change. This Shen-CBA game is going to really determine how the seeding uh, shakes out. If Shen wins, it's, fair, it's very cut and dry. Shen's number two. Gilderland's number three. CBA's number four. If CBA wins, then we're looking at a three-way tie for three spots. Quarter points are going to determine how that works out. So it's going to be some fun. Chaos!
0: We chaos. love chaos! chaos.
2: Let's, <laughs> let's talk about chaos because Class A is where there's pretty much guaranteed to be some chaos. Uh, so the uh, after last week, the top three teams in the Capital Division, Amsterdam, Averill Park, and LaSalle, are all one and one against each other. All three games were decided by one point. Two of them were decided in overtime. <laughs> These teams all play... Amsterdam's game against Albany is essentially a meaningless game since Albany is not playoff eligible. They're a member of the capital division, but it won't count towards the tiebreaker. LaSalle goes to Troy. uh, Averill Park hosts Columbia. But if everyone wins as expected, this is going to come down to a three-way quarter points tiebreaker where the two teams with the best quarter points will advance to the playoffs. Looking at the math right now, that favors uh, Averill Park and LaSalle. Uh, It will depend on how those games shake out. If expected, that's how it looks. Uh, But it's going to be tough because Amsterdam, uh, which was undefeated, was two minutes away from finishing off an undefeated season uh, and a division championship, is probably going to know by the time they kick off Saturday whether they're going to the playoffs or not. Just
0: unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I remember just hearing that Amsterdam, what happened with that game, was just incredible. Crazy, crazy game. And then the
2: other division... Burn Hills is locked in as the number one seed. Uh, the number two seed is going to be determined Saturday afternoon. Niskiuna and Queensbury, the winner of that game, moves on to the
0: playoffs. They'll face the Capital Division champion. Wow. So, lots of fun in the Class A. And then Class B, uh, we'll see first of two matchups between Ravine and Glens Falls. Yeah, Ravine and Glens Falls. This is interesting because Class B and Class D as well, which
2: is basically in a crossover week, they don't start the playoffs until next week, but the playoff matchups are set. Are set. Uh, so, in Class B, Ravina Carmen Selkirk is going to play at Glens Falls this week, and then they're going to go back a week later and play them in a game that actually means something in the semifinals. Uh, meanwhile, Shalman will host Gloversville uh, in the other semifinal next week. Just interesting to see in, in a scenario like that, You know, do teams give their players a chance to rest, do teams show off a you know the preseason vanilla offense, or... Does the team want, just want to go out there and say, hey, we're going to make a statement that seven days later you're not coming back here and,
0: and beating us? Yeah, I was going to ask that question. What, what are the coaches doing? It's going to be interesting how the uh, Ravina and Glens Falls coaches play things. Yeah, with Class B, you just kind of think uh,
2: these teams don't have a ridiculous amount of depth. Uh, you go out and play. I think you, would, you, don't, you, you don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize a player being hurt. Uh, but I think you go out and play, and if you're stuck in a close game, Then we see what happens, but uh, it's just going to be interesting to see because those games are always bizarre. Shenandoah CBA could end up as the same
0: thing, but both of those teams need to go out and win this week. So let's take a look at the uh, final power rankings of the season, Uh, Class AA. Uh, Shaker remains on top, followed by Shenandoah, Gilderland, CBA, and Saratoga Springs. Yeah, this one uh, moved a little bit just
2: with uh, Gilderland's win over CBA last week. Shenandoah, which has looked really, really good since its uh, early loss to Shaker. They're up at number 2 Gilderland hops up to number 3 CBA number 4 And then uh, Saratoga Springs Schenectady uh, Teams that are playing a little better As the season moves on But uh, at this point Unfortunately they're playing out the string
0: Yeah, yeah we're playing if Schenectady did reseason votes, They put up a 50-burger Against Colonies yeah, last Yeah, they've, they've won two straight
2: games And uh, Condopalo has the, that team Going in the right direction Unfortunately they just had A really,
0: really difficult schedule They have a tough one this week Against Gilderland as well yeah. In Class A, Burn Hills remains on top. able Park and Amsterdam flip flop. Uh, able Park's now two, Amsterdam three, Lasalle four, and Niskuna five. Yeah, I mean, Burn Hills has really established itself as the number one.
2: able Park, Amsterdam, Lasalle. I think we've said you could toss a toss a three headed coin on that one and try and figure it out. That one's going to be incredibly close. And then Niskuna is is that is that num- that number five spot? Uh, Queensbury, which uh, also received some votes. They've been playing really, they've been playing better football as of late. They're such an interesting team to match up with uh, with their double-wing offense. So the uh, the Niskayuna Queensbury game is going to be really, really interesting on Saturday. Yeah,
0: Class B and uh, no changes there. Glens Falls, Shalmont, Ravina, Gloversville, and Hudson Falls.
2: Yeah, this one's pretty much uh, locked in. Those top four teams, those four teams that are going to the playoffs. Hudson Falls uh, made a nice comeback, almost got back into that game against Gloversville, and uh, really, really interesting to see. But we've got four teams that are locked in and based on what we've seen Glens Falls has the clear advantage going into those playoffs and those other three teams are kind of bunched
0: together. Yeah. In Class C it's Skylevo, Hoosick Falls, Tamarack, Watervliet, Voorheesville and Fonda-Fultonville.
2: Yeah, again, these are your. we're in the playoffs here and you look at it, three of the top 5 are from uh, the north Divi- the north division including the top two teams. Watervliet's a team that very much flew under the radar, Voorheesville as well because they lost some games they lost games early. Uh, and they lost games to teams from the other division. These teams have come back and played really, really well. going to be interesting to see Fauna Fultonville, a team that has won five games that have been played on four different days of the week. Yeah. They've had the oddest season uh, of all. I think I, I went back and looked last week of the eight weeks they've played. They've only played three times against the team they were supposed to play on the day they were originally
0: supposed to play the game. And Class D, we really didn't mention much in the uh, in the game. I've usually mentioned there's a lot of crossovers uh, this week with Class D, but Greenwich, Stillwater... Warrensburg, North Warren, Bolton, Cambridge, Salem, and Chatham.
2: Yeah, Class D is essentially in a weird limbo week. Uh, they play a seven-week regular season. They play a week of crossovers before the semifinals. Those matchups are set next week, so it's going to be Greenwich and Chatham. It's going to be Stillwater and Warrensburg, North Warren, Bolton. It's looked for a while like we're headed towards another uh, Greenwich-Stillwater matchup. That's been the closest and best game in that classification yeah. all year.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask
2: you about you, Albany
0: football, since you do cover the t- team for the Gazette. Another <laughs> tough Lost what? I mean, uh, I mean, at this point, it, 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 it's, at the, amazing, at, it's amazing. At, at
2: it's, this point, it's become it's it's a Yogi Berraism. It's deja vu all over again. This team can, has continually gotten itself into close games and found ways not to win them. I'm not saying not saying they find ways to lose games. They there's one or two plays that these teams that this team needs to make every week, and it just in a string now has not come up for them. Uh, this game against against Maine this past week, they were they were they fell behind early. They made a quarterback change. They made a quarterback change back. Jeff Undercuffler got the team back into the game, uh, and it was a situation where
0: they just couldn't uh, get the ball back with a chance to, to win. Well, yeah. and then of course the Union rolling as well. Another win over Rochester coming off the uh, the, the bye. Yeah, Union
1: has
2: looked. Absolutely fantastic in its seven wins. They've trailed in in seven games for about three minutes all season, uh, which was basically the time it took them for, for, to go behind to score a touchdown yeah. on their next drive. You're looking at a team that now plays three very crucial games three straight weeks. They play Hobart, they play Ithaca, and then November 13th, and unfortunately RPI no longer undefeated. We were hoping that we might get an unbelievable Undefeated, undefeated Dutchman Shoes game yep. uh, for the first time in two years, but that's a game that's gonna really go a long way. Just for for if RPI can win out, they're gonna have a chance to to force a tie, maybe win a league, share a league title, and for Union very well could be going for a second straight undefeated regular season and uh, a
0: birth against the NCAA Division III playoffs Absolutely. too So, well Adam will do this again next week we'll talk playoff high school football we, and uh, there should be a lot of stuff well, obviously everything will be clear at this point next week and have well, a lot of fun to talk about
2: yeah next week we're down to the semifinals. only two weeks
0: left in the Section 2 football where, where did it go where did it go do not know <laughs> well Adam appreciate it uh, we'll talk next week thank you very much that's Adam Schindler we're back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment
1: There are no words to describe it. The isolation, the boredom, the loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports. It's so much more than a game. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association.
0: Hi, this is Byron Hunter, the world champion, New York Giants. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor, Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The week seven winner in the Daily Gazette You pickem football contest is John Demaria of Clifton Park. John wins a $100 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, John. The VIP winner is Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment. Unfortunately, due to a computer glitch, we do not have the winner in the auto racing contest. Of course, I'll be announcing the weekly winner of each contest. The U Pick'em's name uh, will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette, while the Auto Racing Contest winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in either contest, go to DailyGazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. The NFL season is underway, and that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. I was 9-4 in week 7, and I'm 65-42 and on the season. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shot podcast. I would like to thank Rich Podlowski and Adam Schinder for coming on the show. I'll have another podcast Thursday focusing on Union Hockey. I'll preview the Union RPI games this weekend. Also joining me on the show to preview the ECAC hockey season will be Josh Segan of College Hockey News. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, Good day, good sports.